Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Really, Duncan had it. They turned it over. Alley oop back to Kevin. Oh, baby! Woo! KG! You can see it coming, and the building is electric off that slam dunk. Hello and welcome to the Believe in Timberwolves podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Hedke, and as always, you can find me on Twitter at B underscore Hedke NBA. On today's show, we are going to talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves' last couple games and then also try to preview this upcoming game against the Denver Nuggets on Saturday. I'm currently recording on Saturday morning, so this pod should drop either later this morning or early this afternoon, give you a good pregame listen for the 8 o'clock tip against the Denver Nuggets. But we're just going to talk about what went wrong in the Pelicans game um, earlier this week and what went right in the Milwaukee game on uh, Wednesday night. And then we'll move on and talk about all sorts of things, Timberwolves. I also want to dive into a couple lineup things that I really want to see more of and what I've been interested in so far this season. But before we do that, I do want to get a quick word from our sponsor, Bet Online, because they make this podcast possible. So we will be right back. Bet Online is back and better than ever. They have a new web interface for the start of basketball season. They have more props, more odds, more lines than they've ever had before. And Bet Online just continues to be the best spot, the number one spot for all of basketball and football action this season. If you're looking to get in on the action for the Timberwolves tonight, the Wolves are currently two point favorites against the Denver Nuggets at home, and the over under line sits at 220.5. So if either of those bets interest you, head on over to Bet Online, sign up today, and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You can do that on an updated desktop or mobile website. Just use our promo code BLEAVE50, that's B L E A V 50, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. BetOnline to where the game starts. All right, so we're back into the pod, and I think what we really want to talk about to get going is takeaways from the Pelicans game and what those really look like what that game really looked like because it it really wasn't pretty it wasn't pretty at all we had a slow game from D'Angelo Russell to start he ended the game three for 14 shooting one for eight from three he just looked abysmal and he was really basically unplayable for that entire game um which was tough because D'Angelo Russell had a tough game against the Pelicans the the first game against the Pelicans as well and then he followed it up with an even worse game in the second game um so D'Angelo Russell just had to be better. He didn't meet with media after the game. Carl um, Anthony Townsend and Anthony Edwards did, and we'll talk about that here in a in a little bit. But yeah, D'Lo just wasn't good, and the Wolves need D'Angelo Russell to be good. They faced some some lower quality teams um, with the Rockets and the Pelicans, and they got away with two games there um, with subpar performances from D'Lo. But that can't continue to happen all season. And I think the team recognized that. Cat and Ant obviously recognized that. And Chris Finch recognized that. And I think D'Angelo Russell recognized that too. He recognized it after the first Pelicans game. He mentioned that 
he said he forgot how to play basketball and it's apparent that he didn't quite remember how to play basketball when he came into that second Pelicans game either, um, which was tough. And the Timberwolves ended up losing that game, which seemed like it should have been a winnable game. But the Pelicans were desperate. They were a team that if they didn't win that game, they were going to 0-4. And for a team that wants to try to survive without Zion Williamson, they couldn't afford to do that. Now I think they currently sit at still 1-4. and four, So I think they lost their next game after that Wolves game. So they're not looking too good, which for the Wolves is a good thing. Granted, they did lose to them, so the series is split so far. But it's a good thing that they're off to a slow start because they're one of those teams that figured to be battling for playoff slash play-in position with the Wolves at the end of the season. Um, so you can't really complain about that, but it would have been nice to sneak that game away. What really killed the team in that is the size. The size of, you know, New Orleans, mainly Jonas Valanciunas, just absolutely killed them, especially on the glass. Jonas Valanciunas ended the game with 22 points, but the big kicker was he had 23 rebounds. Uh, the Wolves just can't afford to give up big rebounding games like that, especially to lower quality teams, because offensive rebounds is what can win you games when you are a struggling offense and that's what they did Valentunas helped with that Brandon Ingram also ended the game really well he seemed to take over at times and it was you know it was really interesting to to see B.I. do that without Zion but I wouldn't say the Pelicans played a great game either they just the Timberwolves played a really really bad one um and then after the game in the post-game press conference Towns went out and I was on the call and he was not allowing to put himself to put blame on anybody else. He took all the blame on himself personally, talking about how he needs to get his team into better positions and he needs to find them open shots, get them the ball, just make the game easier for them and that he hadn't been doing that. And Towns didn't necessarily play a poor game, but the big thing was Cat was he let the refs get into his head get under his skin and it just kind of affected his game all around he ended up being just really argumentative against the refs and it just was not not great there's a couple bad calls but he just kind of I don't want to say he took himself out of the game because he ended the game with like 32 points 14 rebounds and seven assists so he had one of his better games of his of his season probably the best statistical game of his season so far but it just kind of the whole team just got into that mold of like complaining and it just really hurt the team. And after the game, like I said, he kind of just took that all that blame on himself. But then Anthony Edwards came, and he followed it up with putting blame not only on himself, but on Kat and on DeAndre Russell all. He said those three need to get everybody else involved more. They're being too selfish. They're just kind of being stagnant with the ball in their hands. They're not letting you know, the offense run and work and get their sets through. So, and was... That was the best press conference I've probably ever heard from Ant, and it's not because of how, you know, funny he was or anything like that. It was that press conference was had a lot to do with the maturity of Ant as a leader, and then that's something that I think when we look back at it, we're gonna be like, that's the point in time that Anthony Edwards really showed that he was gonna be a, a true leader on this team. So that was really refreshing to see. But again, it came after it came out of a loss and and it was tough to see that happen but it was a really cool experience to be in that call and just listen to Anthony Edwards talk about it and talk about what this team needs to do um he said he's gonna talk more um be a leader more call people out because he thinks it's gonna be better to call Cat and D'Lo out if it's if it's coming from him versus coming from 
somebody else, you know, with him being one of the best three players on the team. So I thought those comments were cool. Um, And following that game, my thoughts were just, you know, if this team is going to be different, they need to take this loss to heart and they really need to come out and respond in the next game. But unfortunately, the next game was against Milwaukee, which didn't look great. You know, Giannis is fresh off a NBA Finals MVP and championship run. And, um, you know, that's a game that kind of seems like a scheduled loss. But Minnesota came in to Milwaukee. They had a couple advantages with, like, Drew Holiday being out, Brooke Lopez being out, Dante DiVincenzo being out. So it wasn't, like, uh, as big of, I guess. It didn't look like they were going to lose quite as much or quite as badly as they might have if all those guys were healthy. So they came out in the Milwaukee game. Well, before the Milwaukee game, another thing I, do, I should mention, Chris Finch said practice was testy after that loss. Guys were challenging each other, things like that, which is a sign of growth, Growth, I think, which is really important, I think, for this team because they need a true leader with some adults in the room. And if Cat and Ant, 20-year-old Anthony Edwards, can be that adult, that's good. It shouldn't be put on him to be that adult, but that, I mean, that's a good sign for the future. Um, and then Patrick Beverly, I'm sure, had a big impact in that practice as well. But then moving on to the Milwaukee game, D'Angelo Russell came out of the gate hot, absolutely on fire. And Dane Moore kind of predicted that with the with the Bucks playing a deep drop coverage that allows D'Angelo Russell to get to his, his mid-range shots. And that's where he started cooking. I think he hit two mid-ranges and two threes in the first two minutes and 31 seconds. He was 10, 10 points on four for four shooting. Um, and the Wolves got out to an early lead. By the end of the first quarter, the Wolves are leading 44-34. to 34. Um, They ended up building that lead up to a 20-point cushion. I think it was like 54-34, to 56-36 in the second. And they were just, they looked good. They looked dominating against the Milwaukee Bucks, the NBA champions. Which, sure, they were down a couple of their better players. But um, it's still impressive nonetheless. They're still a very good team. Um, still against Giannis Antetokounmpo. And that's what impressed me the most. That the team kind of came out and they they took that gut punch from New Orleans. And they turned it into a win against Milwaukee. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about the game. But what I think maybe we should think about is if they didn't take that gut punch against New Orleans. Maybe they don't go out and win that game against Milwaukee. Maybe that's what they needed. Which... In the NBA, a win is a win, and maybe you want it against a Western Conference opponent. But I think the win against Milwaukee built some some very good confidence for this team. And hopefully going forward, that confidence doesn't turn into something like, you know, overconfidence. Or maybe like, okay, we beat the Bucks if we drop one against, you know, the Nuggets on Saturday in just a terrible fashion. It's going to be okay. The Timberwolves now need to take that intensity into every single game because they they just cannot afford to be losing games if they want to be taken seriously um, in this league. So going back to the game, Milwaukee came back in the fourth. They never took the lead. Minnesota led wire to wire with the win, but they came really close. They got it down to, I think, like two points. Um, And then when it was down to two points, Anthony Edwards drove to the basket, got a, a nice and one with 15 seconds to go. Put the Wolves up four. He missed the free throw to put him up five. Um, but still, that kind of seemed to seal the game. As long as you can hit your free throws at, after that, kind of seals the game. 
Um, they ended up winning by, I think it was 113 to 108. So they did. They were really good. They were really good. And offensively, Cat Ant and D'Lo all were really good, which is cool to see because, I mean, you need those guys to be that dynamic trio of offensive players, and you need them to really get other guys going, get the team involved, get a win, you know, just get a win. And against the Bucks, Cat had 25 points. He took 13 shots. He made nine of them. D'Lo had 29 points. Um, he took 12 shots, or took 25 shots, made 12 of them. Not the greatest efficiency, but it was a step forward in the right direction, especially in that first half. He was really impressive. And then Anthony Edwards scored 25 points. Um, not great efficiency, but he came through when it mattered. But the two people that we need to highlight, especially one player in particular, Jared Vanderbilt was amazing in this game. Vanderbilt ended the game with 10 points um, and 13 rebounds, um, 3 assists, 6 offensive rebounds, 7 defensive rebounds. He was very impressive. He was matched up on Giannis all night long, um, which is why his plus-minus, he ended the game a minus 9, but when you're matched up against the finals MVP, two-time MVP, potentially best player in the league, Giannis Antetokounmpo, that's probably a win to be to only be a minus 9 Um because in that game, you know, Giannis did finish the game plus nine. Um, he played 34 or 35 minutes. Vanderbilt played 30 minutes. So he's pretty much on the court the entire time that Giannis was. And he did a, he did a respectable job. Giannis still ended with 40 points. Um, but the biggest thing was not necessarily his, you know, defense on Giannis, which was, I think, fine. But it was the rebounding, not allowing the Bucks to get a ton of offensive rebounds and kind of seal the game in that way. So that's where it came in big. Um, the Bucks didn't go big. Pre-game, Chris Finch um, decided to start Jared Vanderbilt over Josh Okoge. Um, put him at the four because he thought that the Bucks were going to go big and run Thanasis Antetokounmpo at the four and Giannis at the five. They didn't do that. They ended up running um, with a smaller lineup of Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Pat Connaughton as your forwards, then George Hill and Grayson Allen. And Chris Finch decided to just go with it, leave Vanderbilt in there, and turns out it was a really good idea to do that. Um, Minnesota also, or for Minnesota, you also had Jaden McDaniels, who was really big on the glass. He ended the game with 11 rebounds, um, only one offensive, but 10 defensive rebounds, keeping Milwaukee off the defensive glass. Um, so he was really impressed in that game. He was also a plus 12 in that game. Not that single game plus minus is that big a deal, but he was really impactful. Um, you, offensively, you know, he only scored three points. He made one of his three threes. Um, but I thought he looked really solid in that game, played really good defense as well, had some really stellar defensive possessions that you just like watch a guy do that. And it's like, how is he capable of like just dominating a whole possession by himself? But he does that um, very often, actually. But uh, Minnesota still out or excuse me, Minnesota actually out rebounded Milwaukee forty nine to forty three this game. Um, rebounding, rebounding has been the biggest issue so far this season. Um, you know, and the offense. I mean, the offense hasn't been great either. But rebounding has been a big issue, especially, and it mostly comes down to size. When you're starting Josh Kogi at the four, you're probably going to have rebounding issues. Um, so Jared Vanderbilt helped you know, with that problem. 
which is good because you need somebody to be able to do that. And that guy was Jared Vanderbilt. And and Jaden McDaniels deserves a lot of credit for that too. Um, but Jared Vanderbilt, I want to just quote, find these stats that Dane Moore posted on Twitter the other day are just phenomenal. Um, I'll just quote J- Dane straight up. Uh, quote, Jared Vanderbilt were rebounded 19.9% of opponent misses when on the floor last year. That ranked in the 100th percentile. This season, he has rebounded 23.1%. He also rebounded 10.1% of his team's misses when on the court last year. That ranked 98th percentile. This season, he's rebounded 10.8. So he's pretty much like the one of the best def- like rebounders in the league, um, statistically, percentile ranking wise, and when you talk about like that, he's only six foot nine and he's not like a big bruising guy like a Valanciunas or a Nurkic. You know, he's an athletic, springy, you know, six foot nine forward. It's really impressive to see what he can do. But I mean, that's what he was touted for in college. It's just the kid can rebound, and he does. He does a fantastic job with that. So I think he probably worked his way into the starting lineup. Um, he obviously did against Milwaukee, and that with him guarding Giannis, who was the five, that pushed Cat down to guarding Pat Connaughton. And I think Cat did a good job of sticking with Connaughton. Connaughton's, you know, a floor spacer. Um, and I think in the game, Connaughton ended just two for nine from three. I don't know that Cat was on Connaughton the whole time. Um, I haven't looked at that type of tracking data for this game, but just by the eye test, he looked really solid against Connaughton in in those minutes that he was guarding them, him. And I was really impressed by that. And that's kind of what we've been asking to see is Cat just moving out in the perimeter more. And Cat just seems to have a lot more fun when he's not having to drop back and just wait for people to like run into him, which has been cool. Um, but with Jared Vanderbilt starting, not only did that push Josh Akogi out of the starting lineup, it actually pushed Josh Akogi completely out of Chris Finch's rotation for that game. Finch ended up not playing Josh Okogie at all, and he ran basically a nine-man rotation. Jordan McLaughlin got five minutes in the first half, didn't play at all in the second half. Um, so your bench, with your starters of D'Lo, Ant, Jaden, Jared, and Cat, the bench was Patrick Beverly, Malik Beasley, Torian Prince, and Nas Reed, and Jordan McLaughlin with those five minutes. But then Josh Okogie didn't see a minute on the court. Um, so it seems like he got pinched when it shortened down to like a nine-man rotation. Finch has mentioned he'd you know, he's open to playing 11 men, um, and he's done that some. But it just didn't seem like this was the game to do it, and he was right. He didn't need Josh Okogie in this game. He didn't use him, and it, it turned out to be a good move. But my question is, what does that look like going forward? Because with a fully healthy team, Josh Okogie could end up being out of the rotation, which is weird considering that he started, you know, the first three games of the season. But maybe maybe that's what it's going to end up like. Or maybe it's going to be if 10-man rotation, he's going to be right back in. I don't really know, but to do a 10-man rotation, somebody else gets pinched. It's either going to be like Torian Prince or Jordan McLaughlin that gets pinched there. And it's tough to tell like what the best move is to do in that situation. Um, but I think going forward, Vando should start. Um, I don't think it really should be situationally. Some people think maybe it should be. Um, situational, but I'm just thinking at this point, seeing what Jared Vanderbilt did, he earned that starting job. He showed that he has good synergy 
at least in one game with Cat and the rest of the starters. He didn't really hamper what you do offensively. And the Timberwolves need a bigger body. So I think he earned that spot. And until he loses it, I think that should be his spot going forward. The next thing I want to talk about after we talked about those two games is previewing this Nuggets game. Uh, the Timberwolves have the Nuggets come to, camp, to town later tonight. This, Like I said, I'm recording on Saturday. The Nuggets are coming to town. They're on you know, the back end of a back-to-back. They played on Friday night against the Mavs. They blew them out. Um, the Mavs played without Chris Porzingis, but I don't think that would have made the difference. The big thing to to see here, um, well, the Wolves are, as I said in that ad, they're two-point favorites at home. I think ESPN's matchup prediction has them like a 60% chance to win or something like that. Not that that really matters at all, but um, just throwing that out there. But like I said, the the Nuggets did play in the back end of back-to-back. One, that's important because the Timberwolves are on two days rest. The Mavs, you know, they had a game last night. Then they got on a flight, and they're coming to Minnesota to play tonight as well. Um, but the big thing about that back-to-back is Nikola Jokic um, on Tuesday night was playing against Utah Jazz, and he took a shot to the knee, ended up with a knee contusion, and he left that game, never returned. Um, but he did play on Friday against Dallas, and I don't believe he's on the injury port injury report at least not from what I've seen so far um, for this Minnesota game on Saturday so it looks like he's going to be a go he only played 25 minutes against the Mavs because it was a blowout Um, I think they won by like 30 so I'd be surprised if Nikola Jokic doesn't play against Minnesota I'm sure he wants to play against Carl Anthony Towns they have some sort of rivalry that's been going this is also a divisional game you know against another division opponent so I'm, I'm sure he'll play. Um, I don't think the knee contusion was too big of injury, but didn't make sense for him to keep playing in that in that Dallas game. So it is what it is there. Um, you know, for the Wolves, their chances to win obviously decrease with Jokic coming in. But I, I'm pretty. I feel pretty good about. I feel pretty good about it. Surprisingly, um, one the Nuggets haven't been super impressive so far this year. They're currently 3-2. and two. They have wins over the Suns, who also haven't been impressive. The Spurs, who just aren't a great team. And the Mavs, who, again, without Kristaps and with Jason Kidd running the show, they're just not a good team either. And they lost to the Cavs, and they lost to the Jazz. Um, I think both those losses were 12-point losses. Obviously, against the Jazz, Jokic didn't finish the game, so that could have been a different story. But I just haven't been super impressed with what the Nuggets have been. Michael Porter Jr. has been, you know, really unimpressive hasn't been shooting the ball very well and without Jamal Murray you were hoping that he could be that second guy and he just hasn't been um but I think the Nuggets match up pretty well with the Timberwolves they're not an overly big team their starting lineup has some good size um but I think it matches up well with what the Wolves have on that end of the floor also um Nikola Jokic and Kat Jokic is bigger um but you know that's been a matchup that the Timberwolves, or that Cat's been able to handle solidly, you know. If you can get a push from Cat in that place, I think you're sitting pretty good. Um, at the power forward, they run with Aaron Gordon, who's a big-bodied dude. He's just a just some brute force to him. Um, but we saw Vanderbilt do really well against, um, you know, Giannis. So I think he'll be able to do better against even Aaron Gordon because Gordon's nowhere near Giannis's level. But I think they have similar ish play styles 
Um, so I think you're going to be good there. Then Michael Porter Jr. matched up with Jaden McDaniels. Um, Jaden's a great defender. Doesn't have a lot of you know offensive firepower right now. Michael Porter Jr. is more of an offensive firepower guy, but he's been slow coming off this season. So I'll be interested to see what that matchup looks like. But I mean, they're both like six foot ten, lanky dudes. So size wise, they match up really well. Then Will Barton um, versus Ant. I think Will Barton maybe like six five. Ant's like six five, six six. But Ant just has a lot more muscle. But that's going to be a good matchup there. Um, obviously, Ant's more of an offensive firepower. Barton's more on the defensive side. And then Monte Morris for D'Angelo Russell. I think Monte Morris is a good place for D'Angelo Russell to guard. So I think the Timberwolves will just match up one through five just like that, assuming those are the starting lineups again. Um, but then off the bench, Denver's not nearly as big. They have like Jeff and Jamichael Green as their bigs. I think Zeke Naji a little bit plays some big for them too. But it's nothing that I'm really worried that they're, like Nas Reed's going to get just dominated by anybody. Um, so it's not like Nas trying to play against Valanciunas when Cat fouled out the other night. So I'm not really worried about the size on the bench. So I think size is going to be kind of the determining factor in if the Wolves have a chance to win or not. And against Denver, I think they match up pretty well. So I have three matchups I want to key in on and kind of want to push you guys to watch as we head into this game on on Saturday night here. The big one, Cat versus Jokic, you know, Two top three centers going at it. Um, neither of them are otherworldly defenders, but they're both otherworldly offensive players. Um, but they both are solid defenders. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who wins that matchup. Like I said, if you can get a push there, I think the Wolves have a really good chance to win. Cat um, and Jokic always seem to have, you know, something going on when they're on the court together. And it's just kind of tough to really think about who is going to win that matchup. Because sometimes it's Cat, sometimes it's Jokic. So far, they've played 18 games against each other. Jokic has won 12 of those. Cat's won six. Um, Stat-wise, over the course of those 18 games, Jokic has averaged 16.5 points, 9.2 rebounds, and 5.4 assists. Cat's averaged 23.8 points, 11.8 rebounds, 3.8 assists. So I think... Cat might outplay Jokic, but some of those came before Jokic really took a step up to that MVP level. So I'm sure over the, you know, most recently it started to be a little bit more of a downturn. In the 2020-2021 season, they only matched up um, one time. Jokic got the better of Cat in that one with 31, 14, and 4. Cat only with 20, 11, and 4. Um, and then in the 2019-20 season, they matched up twice. Cat got the better of Jokic in the first one. He got 25, 16, and 6, with Jokic only getting 26 and 7. But the Nuggets did win that one. Um, and then Cat got the better of Jokic again. Their second game last season, he ended with 28 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. Jokic was 17 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists. But again, the Nuggets won that one. The Timberwolves have not beaten the Nuggets since, I think, game 82 in the 2017-18 season when the Timberwolves won in overtime to go into the playoffs. They haven't won since. They've lost by, in those in games since then, they lost um, the first game against the team in 18-19. They lost by two, even though Cat outplayed Jokic. The next game, they lost by one, even though Cat outplayed Jokic. And then the next game, they lost by 26, even though Cat outplayed Jokic. 
Then on um, 2019-20 season, they lost by two, even though Cat outplayed Jokic. And in the 2019-20 season, the second game they played against each other, they lost by seven, again, even though Cat outplayed Jokic. And then they lost last season the one time they met up. But Jokic did outplay Cat, and they, the Nuggets won by 11. So the Timberwolves are currently on a eight-game losing streak. No, six-game losing streak against the Nuggets. Excuse me, Cat's on a six-game losing streak against the Nuggets. He hasn't played in all the games against them since that game 82. But this might be their best chance to do so. They've been close when Cats played. Like you said, there was a couple two, one, six-point games in there. They have a chance. um, I like their chances, actually. I would probably pick them to win this game. Um, And now that I say that, they probably won't. But um, I think it's going to be a really good game. I'm excited to see what it looks like going forward. Um, I want to end the show tonight with some lineups that I'm excited to see a little bit more of. Um, and I'm going to go three-man lineups here. I think three-man lineups is a good way to increase the sample size of what we're seeing, but still understand like who's on the court and in situations and things like that. The first lineup I want to I want to look at is a lineup, a three-man lineup of Carl Anthony Towns, Malik Beasley, and Anthony Edwards. Those three players have shared the court for 40 minutes so far in four games this season. Their offensive rating has been 135.2 with a defensive rating of 94.3, so a net rating of 40.9. Now, remember, net ratings, all this stuff with small sample sizes, they're going to be inflated and things like that. And I just want to put that disclaimer out here because it's really important that everybody remembers that and you just can't expect this type of um, production to continue. But I think what's been good so far to see with this lineup and why I'm highlighting this lineup is you look at those three names. Towns. People consider him an average at best defensive player, especially last, you know, throughout his career. Malik Beasley, seen as a negative defensive player. Anthony Edwards, also last season, was a poor defensive player. We see that team with a solid, def- a really good defensive rating of 94.3 and a really good offensive rating of 135.2. Um, so it shows that there's a little bit of potential for that that trio with the right defensive personnel with them you know more than likely you're gonna have like Patrick Beverly and like a Kogi or Vanderbilt or McDaniels on the court with those guys so two plus defenders that that uh line up with those three you know probably three of the four best offensive players on the team can survive on defense with a little bit of help from some extra players so that's why I like that one We've seen 40 minutes, so you know for the beginning of the season, it's not exactly a tiny sample size, but four games in the season, everything's a small sample size. But it's just one I want to look into more. I'm not saying it's going to be good. I'm putting this out there because it's what I want to see more of, just to kind of track it and see what it looks like. Um, another one, the next two have a little bit smaller sample sizes, but the next one is Towns, Beasley, Prince. Um, 24 minutes together, 121.4 offensive rating. 107.5 defensive rating, so a net rating of 13.9. Again, 24 minutes isn't much. Um, but the interesting thing is in that lineup, Torian Prince has only played the three for two minutes. He's been at the four for 22 of those 24 minutes. Um, so it shows that like the defense is pretty solid, and I actually kind of like him next to Cat at that four role. A lot of times, Jaden McDaniel's been on the court with that group too. So you kind of have that 3-4 pairing of McDaniel's Prince. I like what we've seen from that so far. I want to see more of it. 
this doesn't mean much. It's just, like I said, these three lineups I'm giving, just lineups I want to see a little bit more of as we go into the season. And then the last one um, is Towns, Prince, and then Edwards. So instead, last one was Towns, Beasley, Prince. This one's Towns, Prince, Edwards. Um, this lineup, again, Torian Prince, only two minutes at the three. He's been at the four for the rest of it. McDaniels has been, or Vanderbilt has been on the court quite a bit. Um, or excuse me, t- Vanderbilt has not been on the court with that group. He's only been there for the two minutes that Prince was at the three. Other than that, McDaniels or Kogi have been on the court. That lineup in 22 minutes, so again, Towns, Prince, Edwards, 22 minutes, 128.0 offensive rating, 79.2 defensive rating, so 48.8 net rating. I just want to see what that looks like going forward. I thought that the net rating was just too insane not to mention it. And like I said, that obviously that's not going to continue. But it's going to be really interesting to see what that lineup looks like when we get a good 20 games under our belt and we can kind of come back track these lineups and just see what they look like because the Timberwolves have so far been playing really solid defense but not great offense but these three lineups and there's a few more lineups they have played really good offense and solid to really good defense so I want to see you know I like tracking those three-man rotations like I said before or three-man lines because they really give you a picture of like okay it's hard to look at five man because five men just don't stay on the court that long together because there's it's not a platooned substitution pattern rotations don't just do that in the nba so you want to kind of look at who's sharing the floor a lot together in those two to three man groupings and these three man groupings all include towns and one of edwards or beasley if not both of them um but those four players towns beasley edwards prince just total they've been really an interesting um group to kind of look at and just see what they've been able to do on the court together. I'm just going to throw one more out there because I just happened to look it up. Um, those four, so Towns, Beasley, Prince, Edwards, they've only been on the court together for 11 minutes total, but their offensive rating is 142.3 and defensive rating is 92.0, so 50.3 um, net rating. I, I'm i not saying there's much to take from that. There really isn't, um, but it is interesting to see that that lineup looks that good. The fifth player in that lineup for seven minutes was um, Jordan McLaughlin, actually. So that that was a lineup where Edwards was the, you know, it was J-Mac at the one, Beasley at the two, Edwards at the at the three, Prince at the four, Cat at the five. That had a net rating of 37.5 in seven minutes. Don't read too much into this. I don't know how many times I have to say this. This is just for fun to look at it and just track going forward. Um, the other lineup had Beverly in as the point guard um, for four minutes. That lineup was 160 on offense, 88.9 on defense, net rating 71.1. So I think it's just going to be fun to track. Mostly what I think is going to be fun to track is how good Torian Prince looks with Edwards and Towns, or just basically just with Cat on the floor, Um, because it seems like every time he plays, he plays really, really well um, with Cat on the floor. So that's something that I've just kind of really liked to see. And I don't know, it's just been really fun to see what that kind of looks like. Another, I just want to throw out some more numbers that, again, don't mean much, but it is interesting to kind of look at what they look like. And that's just the Timberwolves overall, like, offensive defense ratings of the league. The Wolves currently sit 22nd in the league with an offensive rating of 103.6, which is really low. That offensive rating, probably going to get up to, like, 110-ish, I would guess. Maybe 115-ish. 
you know, if it was 115, it put him in the top 10 in the league last year. I think offense might be down a little bit in the league this year just due to the new offensive foul rules and all of that. But I think that that offensive rating, hopefully well past 110, hopefully 115. Um, but then defensively this season, they're at 99.0. Um, so they have a net rating of 4.6. But I think the defense will go up. They're not going to sit down at 99. They're not going to be a sub-100 defense. Um but I think they could be a solid... De- I, I really... I mean, I was confident over the summer that the team was going to be good, but I didn't really think the defense was going to be um, super good. But I'm becoming more confident as the season goes on because I think that they could end up being a top half of the league defense. Um, last year, top half was 112. 112 was where the defense was. That was Toronto Raptors 15th. Hornets were 16th with 112. The Wolves can be 112 on defense and 115 on offense. You'd be like probably around mid-pack, so say 15th on defense and 8th on offense. That's a playoff team. Um, Can't say they're going to get there. Can't promise they're going to get there. I just think it's going to be interesting to see what that looks like going forward. Again, it's four games. We got Denver later on tonight. And then after that, Minnesota will follow up their um, season. They play Denver again on Saturday. And then Monday, they have Orlando come to town. And then Wednesday, Friday, they have not a back-to-back, but a mini-series, we should call it, against the Los Angeles Clippers come to town um, Wednesday and Friday. And then that next Monday is there where they start a four-game road trip. They go to Memphis, Golden State, and then one game apiece against the Lakers and the Clippers on a back-to-back, but they're staying in the same town, so that helps. Um, And then they come back for four more home games against the Suns, Kings, Spurs, and Grizzlies. If Minnesota, before their um, road game, before their, excuse me, their road trip starts, if they can come out and win three of the next four games, they got Denver, Orlando, they should be able to win. Denver, they have a really good chance, I think. And LA's looked really bad. The Clippers are, I believe, like one and three or one and four, and they've just not looked good. They've played, yeah, they're one and... Let me see. I just want to double check. They are, yeah, one and four. The Clippers have not looked good. They've lost to the Warriors by two, which is, the Warriors have been good. They lost to the Grizzlies by six. Grizzlies have been solid. Um, then they blew out the Trailblazers, but then they lost by 13 to the Cavs. They lost by 19 to the Trailblazers um, Friday night. So if you can steal one of those games and beat the Nuggets and the the magic, I think you're sitting good. If you can even just go two and two in that stretch, which I wouldn't like as much, but if you can go two and two in that stretch, you end up at five and three um, with a home stand for the first eight games. You're sitting pretty good. But I want this team to be six and two heading into that that pretty tough um, road trip. You know, Memphis is going to be tough. Golden State's going to be tough. Lakers probably going to be tough. Who's going to you know they're big? How are you going to rebound them? And then the Clippers. Um, you never know what Paul George is going to do. But I think that the Timberwolves have good chances in these next four games. Um, but other than that, I think that's all I got for you. This is maybe one of the longest individual podcasts I've done, but I had a lot to talk about. I'm trying to get more consistent. I want to record more than once a week. Um, it's hard to find the time every now and then, but I'd like to do it because sometimes this all this stuff I'm telling you is a little bit outdated. So I'd like to try to get one every three, four days. I'm going to work on that. We'll see how it's going. But right now, it's been a week. So I kept my promise. Um, I should have words out at canisupers.com by the time this podcast comes out. I also should have words out 
um, previewing tonight's matchup and then recapping tonight's matchup. So you're going to see four posts from me, canasupas.com. Don't miss them all. Read them all. Appreciate you guys. Other than that, this has been the Believe in Timberwolves podcast presented by Online. I'm your host, Brandon Hedke, and I will be back later. Go Wolves. Peace out. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.